Dear God, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to meet again. Um, usually I'm nervous about preaching. I'm, I'm just excited about next week. Honestly, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm antsy, you know? Just, just all, the, all the work that has to go into it, all this stuff, but just the opportunity to meet with people again on church. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Um, I pray for this time we dedicated to you, God. Uh, we, we thank you. Bless, bless this word that we're about to learn, and, and uh, just pray that we could learn a little bit more about your love, Father. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Um, sitting there. And two things crossed my mind. I'm really looking forward to the day in like five years when I'm not a guest speaker, right? Like, I'm not like a random guest. (laughs) Two, Bryce is a great worship pastor because he, you know, all that, you know, he leads us into worship. He knows all the words. But like, the second you could be like, I don't know this theologian, but guess what Bono said, right? That's when you're like, you know, that's when you got a good worship pastor. Keep that guy around, by the way. Um, uh, we've been going through the book of First Thessalonians. Um, it's a great little book. Uh, if I, you know, in some hypothetical world, you know, I think I would write either something like James or like First Thessalonians. Just get to the point, say what you need to say, move on. And, and it's it's great. It's lovely. And there's a lot in this last chapter. It's going to be First Thessalonians five, as Bryce said. We had a wonderful guest speaker, Kyle, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, just a wonderful guy. I talked to him for five minutes, maybe. But, um, you know, he's just, he's a really cool guy. And, and if you're like me, who went to men's retreat in the past, you've seen him around, but, you, you know, there's a lot of people there. You probably didn't talk to him, and that's me. So uh, it's, it's really nice knowing that we got, you know, a guy who can come every once in a while and preach. And, and um, it's tough right now, you know. To just to do what he's doing, you know, help out with another church. You're not sure what's going on. So for him to take that time out really is is, is amazing for us. So thank you, Kyle. Um, I'm going to go right through it. I'm going to get started on First Thessalonians 5. It's on the screen. Uh, if, you, if you'd rather read it on your own, you can do so. We're going to start in verse 1. And um, it's going to start out in a very interesting way. It's probably going to start out the way that I would, I would say it. As I said, you, how do you start your, your chapter? How do you start your story? Well, you start at the beginning, right? How do you end? You, you go to the end, right? And that's what he's going to do. So he's going he's gonna to end this last chapter. He's going to start with talking about the end times, right? He's going to say, now concerning the times and the seasons, right? Uh, if you've read your Bible for a while, that statement might throw up some flags. That statement is a very interesting statement, right? Times and seasons. It's so general, but so specific. If you were to say that now, people wouldn't know what you're talking about. But if you say that in the Bible, people should know what you're talking about. The times and the seasons are end times. This is when everything's going down. This is when the world's ending, right? Jesus come back, all that stuff. So big red flag right there. Times and seasons, brothers. You have no need to add anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Once again, day of the Lord, huge red flag. That day of the Lord, every single time you see that, it's end times. He's coming back. It's his day. He owns it. It's happening. It's going to happen. Uh, thief in the night. 
Once again, whenever you see, whenever you hear a sermon talking about end times, I guarantee thief of the night will be said. I don't care what's it about. I don't care if it's about Christianity, not Christianity, in church, not church. Doesn't matter. You could talk about what fast food's like at the end times. Thief of the night, thief in the night will come up, right? Why? It's so important. It portrays everything we need to know about the end times. Thief in the night. What is the mystery behind that? Is it that there is a thief? Is that that there is a night? No. It's going to happen. I don't care if you're a Christian, a non-Christian, gone to church all your life, never been, because you're afraid of lightning. Right? The end is going to happen. Now, here's the question. You, you believe that. When? How? That's when the mystery happens. People say the sun's going to explode and all that stuff, or, or environment, or, or your own destruction, or the next, like, evolutionary state. There's a crazy group of people that says Jesus is going to come back, so it doesn't matter. Right? That's the mystery. You don't know when. It's going to happen. And, and, and you hear it all the time, except for when people are talking about the end times in a very specific way. You know when you don't hear it? Y2K. Remember that? Eli and Micah don't. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, you, you, know, you know when you don't hear Thief in the Night? 2012, January 1st, mind calendar, they knew for some reason. You know when you don't hear it? Oh gosh, I'm pulling a a date and I want to say it's right. March 15th, 2016, when the guy in Oakland said, it's ending. It's happening, it's ending. And people said, yes. And old ladies gave all their money to this guy for some reason. I don't get the connection there, but whatever. You never hear thief in the night because it destroys that argument. The Bible right there says you don't know. That's the mystery. It's going to happen. That's for sure. You don't know when. Right? Um, we all live in like a really safe area. I like honestly, like we we really do. We're really like privileged. Like Pleasanton, Livermore, San Ramon. Like it really anywhere over here. Even if you're in the bad part of Danville, bad part of Dublin, you're safe, right? Like your gated community is okay, right? Like it's it's all right, you know. Uh, uh, pretty safe. Uh, I would say, like you could probably. I wouldn't do it. But you could probably not lock your doors at night. I remember a couple times, and it was very, very rare, because my mom is like super, hi, I love you. Uh, so uh, forget sometimes if there's an audience. So uh, she's, you know, she's very worried. And there's a couple times where like we just went to bed, and then we woke up, and our garage door was open. Right? And at any point in the night, someone could have just walked in because the garage door is not locked, right? Nobody locks that door, right? And they could have just walked in and stolen our TV and all the stuff and then just left. And we would have known. We're pretty safe. Why do we do it then? Because there's uncertainty. It could happen. 
right? It could happen. That the 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 security uh, commercial, you know, from a couple years back. It's like every six seconds. Or is that you? You know, it could happen. I don't know. I don't want to risk it. Same reason why I don't like leave my door open at night when I'm sleeping because I'm not like a psycho, right? Uh, verse three. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. The same idea, right? When someone's pregnant, they're going to have a baby. It's not the issue. That's not the mystery, right? The mystery is when. You know, we live in a day where they're pretty accurate, right? They, they can get it within like a week, the date. Uh, if you ever talk to, you know, working in children's ministry as a guy is just... Wonderful. You know, I've, I've had a lot of discussions with ladies and all that stuff. The issue is not the delivery date. The issue is two weeks after the delivery date, and they haven't had the baby. Three weeks after the delivery date, and they haven't had the baby. Because there's, there's, there's worry. There's stress. There's a mystery is compounding and compounding and compounding that they know what's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and that's the idea. That we, for thousands of years, humanity has been sitting around saying, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We just don't know when. And, and, and unluckily from us, it's been a little too long. It's been compounding for a little too long, and we say, it's not going to happen. It's not gonna, it hasn't happened in, in all these generations. So what is the chances of it happening in mine? Pretty low. The mystery is not that it's going to happen, it's when. Um, because I, I have problems, and they said the word escape. Uh, I <laughs> Escape rooms. So um, if you know me, if, you, if you've hung out, like escape rooms are like a huge uh, part of my life. Like uh, honestly, like one of the worst parts of this pandemic is I can't get hot pot, and I can't go to escape rooms, right? Uh, if you've ever done an escape room, basically there's like a theme Something's going on. You walk in and and you're in like a bank vault and you gotta you gotta break in. You're in the bank and you gotta break into the bank vault and you gotta steal this thing and you gotta leave, right? Or uh, you're in jail and you're stuck in jail and you gotta break out of your cell and then you gotta break out of the police department and you gotta leave. Whatever it may be, right? There's a goal. Along the goal, and this is important, right? And, uh, there's like a hundred different things that you got to do. There's all these little puzzles, all these little tricks, all these little locks you got to break and do all that stuff, right? And and, and I want to tell, and, and if you've done escape rooms, I'm just going to say how much of a problem I've had. I ha- I've, do, I've done like a hundred, over a hundred and like 30 escape rooms, I think. I have problems, and I've started like two years ago. I got problems, right? Uh, so uh, I want to tell you about the worst escape room experience of my life. Uh, it, was, it was a little place in, in, in uh, Fremont, pretty sure, and uh, we went there because we had to go to Fremont because we ran out. Yes, I have problems. So we went and we go to Fremont and we're sitting there and we're all excited. And, and um, it's, not, it's not my entire dream team, but it's like part of it. And we're going and we're all excited and we're pumped. We go to this room and it's this really cool like Pharaoh's tomb room, right? And, and, and we work through the room and it's difficult. It's really hard, but we're keep going, keep going, keep going. And we get to this room where it's kind of near the end. And, and we need 12 keys to leave. So we're looking everywhere. 12 keys, and we're looking everywhere. We finally find nine of the 12, and the countdown 
timer just keeps going and going and going, and we're stuck. And we sit there, and we fight, and we fight, and we fight, and we fight, and we can't find it. And finally, the timer goes to zero, and our team is cursed or whatever have you, and we're sealed in the tomb forever, and we fail. And the lady comes in, and I say, I can't, where are these? And she just gives us the little, like, oh, they're around, you know. I was like, no, literally, where are these last keys, right? I, I need to find these last keys. And, and the problem is, is she starts looking, and she can't find them. The lady who set up the room can't find them. Guess what? We were put in a situation we could not win. And it wasn't me, but it was me. And, and I was really, really mad, and nothing was going to go right. The day was ruined. We went to Val's, got milkshakes. It was great after that. But everything was bad. Nothing was right. We were put into that situation. There was no escape. You're pregnant. You can't do anything about it. You're stuck. The end of the world is happening, and you're stuck. You can't do anything about it. What are you going to do? And, and that's kind of the sermon today, is you don't know what to do, so what do you do? Let's keep moving on. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers. If you ever want us like, see me get mad at you, take me to escape room. I just, don't do that. I, don't, I like you too much. So, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. So everyone else is saying, hey, guess what? I'm safe. I'm secure. Everything's okay because I drive a, a Tesla. And my carbon footprint is nothing, right? I'm safe. Nothing could happen to me. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, is this... A biblical command to not sleep. Of course not. Um, one great way to tell is if you should do something or not is to say, did Jesus sleep? Yeah, he did. Several times, he was the most faithful person in the room because he was asleep. Several times in the Bible. Amazing stories, and he's just snoozing away. So that's not it. Likewise... Is this a command to always be so, are you supposed to avoid alcohol at all, uh, all action, everything you do to avoid? No, because it's said in the same sentence. It's saying you're supposed to stay awake and supposed to stay sober, right? Should you be drunk? Obviously not, but we know just from this, that's not what it's talking about. It says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. This is not a topic of, of sleeping or alcohol or whatever. It's just not discussing that. It's talking about being prepared. Right? It, it, it's, it's this idea that when you're asleep at night, like, you're not on guard. Why do you need a lock if you're sitting by the door? Why, why, do, you need, why do you need that stuff if you're prepared, if you're awake, what if the thief comes in the day and you're just a party at your house and there's like 20 people and the thief walks in trying to steal something? It's not going to go well. You're prepared. You're ready. The thief comes at night because you're asleep. The thief comes when you're not prepared. What happens when the thief comes and, and you're not around? You're not even there. 
and, and your wife and your kids at home, but you're on work, you know, some work trip thing. Or you're on vacation. What's happening? You're not prepared. You're not ready. And when Jesus comes back, there are so many people saying, I'm safe, I'm secure, and they're completely unready. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Preparedness, readiness, getting gear, right? (laughs) Putting on the armor of God. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live through him. Is, is your salvation based off of you? When you are saved, you said yes, guess what? Uh, are you not allowed to sleep anymore? Can you not sin anymore? Can you, you're not supposed to. You should be aware. You should be ready for Jesus coming back. But guess what? Even in this very same passage, almost the next sentence, he's saying, you know what? You should stay prepared. But guess what? You're going to be asleep. It's going to happen. You're not going to be ready. Because what? Guess what? It's a thief in the night. That's the whole thing. You're not going to be prepared. And guess what the great part of that is? It's got nothing to do with you. So even when you're not prepared, even when you're not ready, even though you might be asleep, when Jesus comes back, you don't got to worry because Christ has already saved you. Verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and have not admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, sorry, help the weak, be patient with them all. Um, why? Because I, I read that this week. Well, last week, but I read that and I was sitting there at the end of the day, you know, because I'm a very selfish person. I, I say, why should I dedicate time to that, right? I should just do it myself. It's going to be easier. It's, it's going to be better. And if I spend time on other people, why? Well, that's, that's my America coming out, <laughs> right? Uh, America has over-romanticized the idea that, that when other people mess up, it doesn't affect you. And honestly, probably more importantly, when you mess up, you don't affect other people. Right? We we live in a world where it's very obvious when a husband um like has an affair or whatever have you, like it affects the wife. We see that. We we see firsthand evidence uh, of that, you know, that sin happening that it affects the children. When you mess up, as a mom, a dad, a wife, husband, brother, sister, it doesn't matter. We see that direct influence. Now, here's the thing. What we don't talk about in our church, as in our church, what happens when someone that should be serving 
isn't serving. What happens when a vital individual in your church is idle? I got this, um, like, I don't, I don't even want to say injury, because it's like, I slept on it weird. But, like, because it's, there's a pandemic, you can't see your doctor, and I slept on it weird. And, like, my arm's been hurting since, like, February. Like, <laughs> but it's not like, like, I did winter camp, and I did summer camp, and I did Mexico. Like, it's fine. But, like, I finally was like, listen, doc, like, I get it. Like, I just, I think I need to see you, right? Like, it's, just, it's, an, it's an annoyance, right? And, and they got me doing physical therapy because of the time and all that stuff. Uh, why does it matter? Why can't I just go on and just be like, hey, I'm, like, past 30. I don't need all my body parts. Right? Like, it's okay. I don't Because when one weakness happens in the body, it affects the body. When your right arm is sore, so you have to use your left arm more, your left arm gets sore. (laughs) Because it's it's working extra hard. It's not designed to be doing that. It's it's designed to have an equal load, an equal share. You know, being 6'10", like I, 6'10 problems, right? Like privilege, right? Uh, There's, there's, yeah. There's a couple things that, like, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't think about unless you were six, six and above. I will always have in the back of my head a fear of hurting my back. Because you hurt your back, right? Uh, you'll be out for a couple days a week or so. You're 6'10", and you hurt your back, you're done for months. You're doing exercises for the rest of your life. Right? Why? Because if that one part of your body has failed... If that one part of your body is weak, it affects everything. Your schedule changes to accommodate for that. Right? And we look at the body and we say, of course, obviously. Obviously. That makes sense. Doctors tell us all the time. And then we look at the church and say, it's okay to have idle people in the church. It's okay to have people sitting in the hot tub. It's okay to be like relaxing, chilling, enjoy. But you don't realize that that influences the whole body. And let me tell you, like, because, like, we could use the pandemic as an excuse, when, when people aren't around, it's hard. Stuff fails. Stuff isn't working. Communication stinks because we can't talk to people. We're missing out on people. We're missing out on things. We're missing out on body parts. We're weak. We need to meet, and we can't. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a strong urge in me to be, you know, oh, I won't get in that. <laughs> Let me keep going. So um, verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to another and to everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and everyone. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Man, you know why I hate Facebook right now? It's too political. Here's the problems. All the issues in the world, right? There, there's fire. Cities are burning to the ground. There's police and ju- all this stuff. P- people are getting murdered. Everything is happening. 
And you know what the solution is? Politics. Everyone says, this is the guy, this is the girl, this is the solution, this is the bill, this is what's going to save us. It's too political and, and, and same. Me too. I get it. It's, it's a very interesting time because we have a lot of problems and, and there's a presidential debate going to happen. And we have to vote on someone. It's very easy to go to that. You know what the problem is? In all of these Facebook posts, not once have I seen this verse. Not once have I seen, don't repay evil for evil. I've seen a lot of, let's get ours. I've seen a whole lot of like, these people are idiots. They're destroying everything. I've seen a whole lot of, get rid of all of this stuff. Destroy everything. Start over. I've seen a whole lot of, you need to vote for this person. And you're terrible if you vote for this person. And you're an idiot if you vote for this person. I've seen a whole lot of that. Uh, not once have I seen, don't repay evil for evil. But do good to anyone and everyone. It's so easy to make it political. It's so easy to make church meeting political. It's so easy for to make your life political. Do you know what's hard? When everyone's having those debates, when everyone's having those talks, when they put you on the spot and they ask you who to vote for and you're like, I'm a pastor, I can't tell you that. <laughs> Avoid those questions. Make it entirely about God. Forget that candidate. Forget those candidates. Forget this, that, that. Measure, bill, law, whatever. Forget that. How can I not return evil for evil? How can I, I love someone? How can I show kindness to someone, anyone, everyone? How would your voting change? Then once you start there, how would your voting change? How would your discussions change? How would your posts on Facebook change? It's hard. Because my America is coming out. And, and I, I, I want to say what's good for the country. And my personal opinions are coming out. And I want to tell people to vote this way. And I want to do this. But at the end of the day, I know that putting my hope in X guy, Y girl, whatever, it's, it's not going to work because they're people. I need to put my hope in God. One of the best things that Kyle said was this idea that, that your influence is not solely dependent on you. Right? One of the hardest things about being a young pastor, just putting up the door, you know, the curtain a little bit, is I have to tell people three times my age what they should do in their life. That's one of the hardest things. You know what the easiest thing about my job is? Telling people three times my age what to do in their life. You know what I know why? Because they've lived long enough. And I go to a church that they know better. I go to a church that they know, yeah, he's a little young. Yeah, he's a little experienced. But guess what? God's got him there for a reason. I go to a church that I've been here for like, 
I don't know, guys. I keep thinking it's like two years, but then I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of rock pile, uh, rock, uh, camp rocks, right? Like, I, I'm just like, I don't know. It's eight, ten, two, two, one. I don't know. It's the forever. I could count on a hand, one hand, how many times people have seriously questioned my actions. On one hand that they're saying, you did something bad. That was terrible and you don't deserve this position. Maybe even like two fingers. I don't even want to give it that much, right? Why? Because my influence, my authority is not from myself. It's from God, right? Let's keep going. Um, 16, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. And this is the ending. He's like, he's spitting out things, right? So keep up. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. See, that it may seem a little... Um, uh, counter, you know, counterproductive, I guess. You, you say, you say that early on I should respect people ahead of me, right? Right. I should not despise prophecies, but I should test everything. It seems counter, right? I should listen to people, but at the same time, I shouldn't listen to people. It's the same thing that I've been talking about. I go to this church because I trust Scott. I go to this church because, <laughs> you know, counter to what I say all the time. I like his preaching. I think he does a good job. I enjoy it. Don't tell him. I know he doesn't listen, right? Uh, you know, I, I go to this stuff because I like him. Is my hope in Scott? No, because I know him, right? If you put hope in people instead of God, things go poorly, I listen to him. I listen to every single Sunday. I open up my, I'm one of those weird cats. I actually open up my Bible. It's on the screen. But like I open up my Bible, I read. And when I have red flags and questions, I talk to him. Because I do. I don't agree with the guy all the time. Most We went to the same school, so like there's you know a pretty good chance that we, but there's sometimes that I'm like, I don't know, Scott. I'm not sure about that. And I read the Bible, and, and if I'm being honest, more than not, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> but there's sometimes that I'm like, dude, like, I don't really get that. Like, what? What did you mean by that? Like, what? Because I'm looking at this verse and that verse, and I'm looking at, thinking about this concept. I understand him. I trust him, but I'm questioning. It's not a, it's not a lack of respect. I, I wonder, Right? Uh, where am I? Everyone. Oh, 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, reminding you of completion. Your whole body, whole spirit, right? Everything. You're preparing in every way, right? Your whole church. Uh, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath 
before the Lord to have this letter read to all brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So, like I said before, um, the title is What We Know When We Don't Know. And, and um, this, this chapter starts in a very interesting way. Because if you go to a business class or a leadership conference, and, and they said in, in GLS, Global Leadership Summit actually this year, is that when you engage problems, you, you, when you encounter problems, what you should start with is what we know, right? We got this problem, and here's what we know. Uh, we know that we don't want to lay off people. We know that, you know, we're, we're trying to not uh, decrease pay. We're not trying to get rid of the stuff or, or all those things. You start off with that, and, and then you move towards what you don't know, right? Uh, uh, as a church, you know, we don't want to lay off people. Uh, thank the Lord, right? Like, like uh, we, we don't want to sell the property. That, first and foremost, we don't, we don't also want to sell the property. We, we love this church. I love this building, right? In all of its quirkiness and all of its ugliness, you know, I see it, right? Like, I, I love it, and I don't want to get rid of it. That's what I know. Here's what I don't know. I've never been a pastor in a, in a global pandemic before. I don't know what that looks like. Start off with security, move to insecurity. And this is not what it starts with. It starts with, guess what we know? You don't know. You, you don't know when it's happening. It's coming like a thief in the night. It's happening for sure, and we don't know. You start with that, and then you move to something else. And, and why? Because more times than not, that's how the Bible presents things. We like to give ourselves self-security. We like to remind ourselves how strong we are. We like to remind ourselves that everything's going to be okay. And when you move to that, you put yourself in a very dangerous situation. Because if you already believe that everything's okay, if you already believe that you don't need saving, why do you need a savior? You don't. If you honestly believe that you're okay, if you're honestly one of the people who say, I have security, I have light, I'm safe. You look at Jesus as non-essential. You look at Jesus and say, I don't need that. But if you start with, there is hell, there is heaven, no hope. You have no actions you can do to get there. You cannot save yourself. Game over. And then hit him with, Jesus has already paid the debt. And it's got nothing to do with you. That changes everything. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion. It doesn't matter if you're asleep. It doesn't matter if you're ready, because guess what? Christ has already paid the bill. So what do we know? First thing, that we should keep prepared. Keep prepared. And, and I put verse 6 and verse 8. Honestly, I could have just put every single verse down, because it's, it's, it's all about it, you know? But, but um, it's this idea of getting ready for something you don't know. In all areas of life, get ready for what you don't know. What's your next step? I don't know. <laughs> What's the next big thing that absolutely positively will happen in your life? I don't know. Because I've been on this world enough to know that I have plans and those plans 
Um, don't happen. <laughs> I, I make my five-year, ten-year plan, and, and five years ago, ten years ago, ten years ago especially, I didn't know Rock Bible existed. So to say that I was in a position as I am now would have been impossible. Five years ago, I would have said I'd just been continuing children's ministry, doing that, loving it every day. Because the whole student ministry thing, I didn't know about yet. I didn't know Giuseppe was going to leave and and I was going to step up and Megan was going to step up and certainly didn't know that Jan was leaving because I would have started stressing back then. <laughs> prepare what you don't know. W- w- prepare for things that you don't know what's going to happen, right? Uh, college is a wonderful time. Uh, it truly is. Like, it, it's, it's tough. It's crazy. But you meet all these people that you would never get to meet before. And one of the, and especially when you're training to be a pastor, let me tell you that. Um, I, I met one guy who, um, I, 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 I know I'm presenting this like it's bad, but it's not. He was a pacifist. And when I say pacifist, like no violence at all. Like there is no war that's good, right? And he took it to, I would say, and that's a very common thing, especially in Christianity, right? But um, uh, he took it to a level that I would say is inappropriate. He said uh, that you should not retaliate. You should not defend yourself in any way because anything you do shows your lack of trust in God. It's hard to debate that, honestly, when you honestly try it. But, but I was sitting there and I said, well, uh, I'm thinking to myself and I say, well, do you trust God? Yes, absolutely. Do you lock your doors at night? Yes, absolutely. How does that work? See, see, trust is, is not exclusive from action. We need to trust God absolutely, but we have to remember that there's action. Our salvation is not based on us at all. It is based on God entirely. You got work to do. <laughs> Same sentence. There was no period there. I have to do things. God has saved me. He's working on me daily, and that is a complete uh, show of him, of his love, of his glory. I'm terrible. I need to work on things. I can't do anything alone. I got to get started. Right? I need to prepare for things that I don't understand, that I'm not ready for. First thing, keep prepared. Secondly, keep reliant. I've already talked about this idea that, that America just over-romanticizes the idea of independence and strong and, and you need to be your own island and, and your strengths and your weaknesses and all that stuff. That's just not found in the Bible anywhere. At the start, verse 10, in this, it's talking about your salvation. Who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Initial salvation. It happened. But it's not just about us. In that, it's even talking about us, not as individuals, but as a a community. Verse 12 and 13, we need to be reliant not only on God, but other people. We need to work on other people because they influence us. We we can't be idle because Bob needs our help. And Bob can't be idle because I need Bob's help. We need to stop thinking about our our Christian life as this individual isolation silo that doesn't work. 
when I got to Rock Bible uh, 40 years ago, um, I would say the, the biggest issue with Rock Bible was the silo ministries. The women's ministry had nothing to do with men's ministry, and men's ministry had nothing to do with kids' ministry, and kids' ministry had nothing to do with worship ministry. And, and that, that, that makes things clean. And it makes it easy. Because if anything happens in women's ministry, I know who to go to. If anything goes wrong, if anything goes right, I could say, oh, i got to just go talk to Nicole. And that makes it easy and, and clean, but it's not right. We need men in kids' ministry. We need women in the worship ministry. And, we, and we, need, we need the admin ministry to help out with missions. We need the missions. It's all one body. We can't pretend like the right hand doesn't need the left foot just because they're totally separate. We can't pretend like, like, like Scott can do everything. We can't pretend like Megan could just run youth all by herself. Because they're, they're strong and they're capable. But it's not right. We, we need more. And, and, and over the past years, that's what I've seen. The silos have gotten a little bit closer. Some have come together. You know, they're working on it. It's something that we're working on, and it's great. And there's a fight, and there's a struggle. And just like when there's a, there's a weakness in the body, there's exercises and stretches you have to do, and it takes time, but it's happening. And then, and then in verse 24 and 25, it's not, it's not God just an, the initial salvation. It's something that he's doing always, continuously. Right, you need God then, now, forever. You need people then, now, forever. You can't do it alone. It doesn't work. Lastly, keep helping. I'm sitting there and I'm reading this, and the whole time, Scott's voice is just echoing in the background, saying, "Compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways and welcomes all," because that's what's happening in this chapter. When you look around and you're compelling not only yourself but others to Christ in casual ways, worship happens. It's wonderful. When you fight and you train and you work hard and you finally get to Mexico and you realize you can't build a house by yourself, worship happens. When you realize that it doesn't matter if you're putting up walls or the roof or shoveling dirt, it doesn't matter. When you realize everyone there needs each other, needs each other, worship happens. And at the end of the the work day, when you show up to the VBS there, and kids are jumping on you, and you're trying to talk a language you don't know... (laughs) So you pull over someone who does so you can communicate. Worship happens. When the body is working together, worship happens. See, the right hand can try its hardest, but it can't work without the right arm. It can't work without the the chest, without the head, without the brain. It doesn't work. At the end of the day, Scott could show up week after week by himself and it wouldn't be church. He could sit at Pete's, he could sit somewhere and he could, he could do a sermon. 
And, and if no one's there, it's not church. And, and you could sit at home, but eventually, you, you got to get on board somehow. What does that look like? And this is the time where it's the hardest. Because some of you can't. So what does that look like? How do you be the body when you're sitting on your couch right now in your pajamas? Because that's what I would do. I don't know what you're doing right now. But if you got dressed, you're a loser, right? Sorry, is that mean? Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Right? Um, How do you do that? How do you part of the body when you're not part of the body, if that makes sense? So keep prepared, keep reliant, keep helping. I'm going to pray and then uh, worship band is going to come up. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, God. We thank you so much that, that you gave us the church. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that's so cool. It's a gift. And, and we honestly, just all around, we take advantage of it, that we have a group of believers that are fighting with us that we need that they need us, that we can't be idle and they can't afford being idle because we need to fight together. And whether we're in Seattle, Mexico, California, wherever, Florida, wherever people are, we're all part of this body and we all have work to do, God. Remind us of that work and I pray that we can come together as a body right now and worship you. Pray for all these things in your name.